What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Nineteen ninety-eight was a big news year. According to the Associated Press, the top headlines included President Clinton's sex scandal with an intern, Sammy Sosa breaking a long-standing home run record, and two hurricanes, George and Mitch. There was also an Iraq shutdown, a big tobacco settlement, and a shift to the universal currency euro in Europe. So big stuff, definitely noteworthy. But something incredibly important was missing. That same year, Dr. Helen O'Connell, a urologist in Melbourne, authored a study called Anatomy of the Clitoris. She had found that modern medical science had been making a huge mistake. The clitoris wasn't only the little button on the outside of the vulva, as was believed, not nearly. She discovered that the clitoris is wishbone-shaped, with most of it living inside vulva havers, under the pubic bone, and that it's the anatomical equivalent of the penis. Same erectile tissue, same capacity to grow larger and erect during arousal. When journalist Melissa Fife heard about this study in the newsroom back then, that a doctor in her area was literally rewriting what the world had learned from anatomy books, she was sure it would be front-page news. But when she picked up the paper the next day, she had to search six pages in for any mention of it. Later, for the Sydney Morning Herald, Fife wrote, Even in this, its moment of glory, the clitoris was treated as if it had never been, downgraded and difficult to find. I mean, imagine if the story was about the penis being so much more than anyone had ever realized. It seems like that might make waves. Much thanks to Dr. O'Connell, there is a lot more buzz about the clitoris now. And still, we have a ways to go. So today, we are going to celebrate the mighty clitoris by looking back on a few unforgettable stories from past Girl Boner interviews and episodes, starting with Joan Price, a sex educator, author, and filmmaker, who recalls when even the tip of the clitoris wasn't mentioned anywhere. Here's a portion from our conversation from June 2018. When I was growing up, and this was in the 1950s, I'm 74 now, my sex education consisted of, this is how girls get pregnant, and here's why you shouldn't do it. Now, i got to add something to this. My father was a gynecologist, and this is what he thought was all of sex education for me. Oh, how interesting. I know. There was nothing about pleasure. There was nothing about arousal. There was nothing There was nothing to let me know why I would ever even want to do such a silly thing. Wow. I know. And there was nothing in school? No, sort oh, of. Oh, school was about menstruation. We were divided, the boys and the girls. I'm not sure what the boys learned. <laughs> I should ask. Yeah. I should ask. What that is a good learned. question, actually. But what the girls learned was about menstruation and now the egg travels, uh, from the ovaries to the uterus, and if it gets, and so on. Um, that, there, it wasn't sex education. It was sex fear. It was sex lack of information. I mean, it was really terrible. And to make it even worse, and if it could get worse than that, I knew there had to be something more to sex than that. So I went looking in my father's medical books. Do you know something that was not in any of my father's medical books? The clitoris. You're kidding me. No, because I know that, well, I went looking at many stages of my life. But at one point I went looking when I was 17 and I had just had sex with my boyfriend. And I didn't understand why why what we called petting was much more exciting than actual intercourse. And I thought, is there something wrong with me? 
So I went looking in my medical books to see what I didn't know. And if there had been this word clitoris that I didn't know, I would have noticed it. It wasn't there. Wow. It wasn't there. That's so fascinating. So when you had your first sexual experience and you'd only learned negative things, mm-hmm. were you afraid? Was it a, Did you expect it to be pleasurable? Or I know by that time, the hormones are at least giving you some clue, like, oh, I'm excited. Well, there was a context to this because my boyfriend and I had been what we called necking and petting <laughs> for two years already. We thought we were going to wait till marriage because, of course, we wouldn't get married. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing any of this. But from 10th grade into somewhere in, in 12th grade, we were having these makeout sessions in his car. And I was getting very excited, but never there was never an orgasm. We didn't really know how to do that for me. It was a little more obvious for him. Yeah. <laughs> was like, oh, that's what, ha- okay, I get it. And then when we, and I thought, well, when we finally have intercourse, then it's all will be revealed. But instead, I had been very excited to that point, And then it was, well, I'm still a little excited, although most of it has died down, but mm, that's it. Anticlimatic in a couple of different ways. So, yay. So, so aclimatic, actually. And I thought, well, if this is all there is about it, why is it such a big fuss? I love the intimacy of it. I like the excitement of our foreplay and quotes. I'm doing all these finger quotes that, of course, mm-hmm. the audience can't see. Uh, but I didn't know... I didn't know what it would take for me to have more than that. Women who did not have a climax through intercourse were considered frigid. Now, isn't that an awful word? I had no idea. That's I've heard the word. That's and what I frigid meant. I thought it meant you weren't interested in sex, which mm-hmm. also is not a positive term. But, wow. It meant we did not have have orgasms through. Well, it was only called climax. Orgasm was one of those dirty words we didn't say. We did not have, we did not climax during intercourse. So we were frigid. We were defective, in other words. Oh, which surely only made matters worse because you're no longer relaxed when you're aroused. Well, and Right. And, and we know now, in this day and age, and being sex educators, that about 75% of women do not reach orgasm that way. But we didn't know any better. And I remember, (laughs) should we be revealing all this? We should. We should. Let's dig dig into it. We need to know this stuff. If you were in that era, you don't know how much we had to overcome. I remember at one point having a real hot and heavy time with my boyfriend. And by now, I was in my freshman year of college. And I still didn't understand what it would take. And neither did he. It was his first I was his first also, although he was a little older. And at one point, I was getting so excited, I started rubbing my own clitoris. And he brushed my hand away like, no, I'm the one pleasuring you. Wow. But not that he was touching me. He was just screwing me. Wow. Because he felt that that's what sex was probably. That's what sex was. I'm supposed to penetrate you. Yes. Yeah. And what is she doing? No, 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 no. I'm doing it. Wow. And no conversation, probably, because there wasn't any... Neither of us even knew how to talk about it. We didn't have the knowledge. We didn't have the words. And if we went looking, which we did, we went looking. Who do you ask? You don't ask it. You sure don't ask your guidance counselor, right? (laughs) And there was no one to ask. Certainly not parents. Parents weren't supposed to know we were doing it. It was really... um, It was such a primitive time in so many ways. It's interesting to me how a lot has changed and a lot has stayed the same. Yeah. It took a boy, a a classmate, when I was in my sophomore year in college, and I'd broken up with the other boyfriend for other reasons that had nothing to do with sex, and I was dating someone else, and he said, so let me give you an orgasm. I said, well, I, I don't have them. No, I, I, 
Oh, well, I've never failed. He said, it was still all about the men, right? Oh, my goodness. It was still all about the men and what they could do to you or for you. But at least he had it right in how to do it. And I went, oh, really? <laughs> okay, I want to keep doing it. I want to do this a lot. I want to do this with a lot of people. I want to see who else knows this. <laughs> so he found the clitoris. Yes. Wow. Yeah, he already knew. Somehow he had learned. In my work, I talk to other people, of course, in my age group, I'm 74 now, feeling quite happy sexually and, and enjoying it very much. But I, I talk to other people in my age group who are not, who grew up as I did, but then never unlearned that, or whose partners never unlearned that. Mm. I know it was a very repressive era, and fortunately, we can unlearn our upbringing. We can, and we can teach those messages to people of your generation. Yes. So that you don't ever have to go through what we did and have something to look forward to because yes. there's still this idea that our eggs shrivel up if we have a vulva, our eggs shrivel up, and then it's all over. Well, you know, the eggs don't have much to do with orgasm anyway. <laughs> very good point. <laughs> So our eggs may shrivel up, but our 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 responses don't have to. Our um, enjoyment of stimulation, our sense of pleasure, all of that can blossom for us. Different kinds of blossoms than when we were twenty or thirty. So we have to enjoy having the whole floral bouquet and not think, oh, but my roses are. Yeah, but look what's in the bouquet now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So is the clitoris easier for most folks to find these days? Yes and no. A study from 2013 involving a few hundred people suggested that 44% of cisgender men can't seem to find the clit. Another study showed that nearly one-third of college-age women have trouble pinpointing the clitoris on a diagram. Of course, pinpointing it on a diagram and discovering it through pleasure aren't the same thing. I think it's really possible to know what feels good without necessarily knowing what you are stimulating. For example, what many people call vaginal orgasms or G-spot orgasms, those involve the clitoris too. Still, more awareness is important, especially if you don't have a clitoris and your partner does. Back in 2018, I interviewed comedian Emma Arnold at the Storyfort Festival in Boise, Idaho. She was so excited when a guy found her clit that, well, I'll let her tell you, starting with some context. My parents are like mountain hippies, teepee living hippies. And so sex was actually pretty groovy, talked about. Like I saw my parents naked a lot. We were hot, uh, nude hot springers. Um, my lesbian aunts lived with us and they had a sweat lodge in the backyard. Um, and so there were always a lot of lesbians coming in and out naked <laughs> and sweaty. We had the book, and I can't remember that. You probably know the there was a book for children about sex, and it has a, um, a rather robust couple standing in a bathtub making out. Did anybody else have that book? It was a very it was it was very frank, and it said like, "This is a penis, man." Like it was just very cool. Like, <laughs> penises, hair, people get it. It's no big deal. Like it's it was very like groovy. My parents were very groovy about sex. I was the only kid like that because I grew up in Idaho, so all my friends were Mormon. So like on our bookshelf, it was like Joy of Sex and like um, our bodies ourselves and my friends would come over and just like pour through these books and be like what so I, I yeah I had a pretty open sex ed wow so did you find yourself having those unanswered questions because I feel like since most of us do not have that experience we have all of these like well I don't get it and we get told don't talk about it so uh, not not so much, not because of my parents, but because I had older sisters and so uh, stepsisters. And when my when our families were combined, I was pretty naive and innocent. My mom was very protective. We weren't allowed to watch television. Um, we weren't allowed to watch movies. And then she combined with my stepdad and his girls, and he was pretty permissive. And my sisters knew everything. And so I, when I was probably about ten, I remember my sister being like, "Do you know what a blowjob is?" and describing it to me. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I. <laughs> I was only allowed to watch PBS up until that point, and like, 
you know, like we were pretty open about sex, but it also wasn't, I hadn't been super curious also up to that point. So my sisters, any question I had, I could always bring to them and then they would just blow my mind. <laughs> it was probably too much usually. Another kind of blow job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did you learn about girl boners? Did you learn about pleasure? No, God, not at all. Um, for as groovy as my family was, I, you know, they still had the sort of American sexuality. And um, I don't think anybody talked about uh, orgasms or, and it's funny too, since I grew up around a bunch of lesbians, maybe, I mean, maybe part of it was one time I, we were all in the pool in the back and I looked up and I saw my aunt and her wife, um, you could, our, we had a shower window that was like frosted, so you couldn't really see in, but you could see in, and I saw them making out and I remember just being like, oh, God damn it, like that's going to stick in there forever. <laughs> like it's right now, I could draw you a picture of it. Um, so it's surprising that I grew up, I grew up with our, like all these empowered women around me, but like female sexuality wasn't really discussed very much. And I, you know, I this is kind of surprising. Like honestly, I don't think I masturbated till I was like 21. Like not successfully. Like yeah. I kind of knew something was happening down there once in a while. And I honest to God married the first guy who found my clit. Like I was like, okay, he's a <laughs> he's a magic man. And he, uh, this is love. This is what love feels like. <laughs> so I married him. And it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, you can just do this yourself. You don't have to get married when you're 19, it turns out. I asked Emma if she had a sense of why she never really masturbated growing up, which led into where she is at with clitoris talk today as a mom. I think it just didn't occur to me that girls masturbated. Like, the guys I knew, you know, I grew up around a lot of boys, too. Um, I was a, I mean, what we used to call a tomboy. Um, I actually, for three years, I identified as a boy. Now what we would call non-binary, but back then it was just, Emily's a little weird. So I hung out with a lot of boys, and they made a lot of jerk-off jokes. And so I knew that boys did that, but nobody ever talked about girls doing that. And so I just didn't, I think I just didn't know that it was an option. I think it was part of the reason I got, became sexually active so young was like, well, that's the only way to get that as a young woman. Yeah. I mean, I was a pillow humper. I'm not saying I wasn't a pillow humper. That's like, it's not like I didn't ever masturbate. I was humping pillows and stuffed animals like crazy. <laughs> but I didn't know really what I was doing. I just remember being like, this makes my head feel itchy. I'm body hot, what's happening? <laughs> but I didn't really know what I was doing, and I would have never told anybody. Like, and I, none of my friends growing up, nobody talked about girl. Like, nobody would have ever admitted to it, ever. Like, none of the girls I knew. So even, even yeah. though we were pretty liberated, even though my sisters were really liberated, none of us would have ever discussed that or talked about it. So did you question these ideas? It seems like you're so bold in your work. Did you have this drive to, like, debunk this stuff? Or did you ever get frustrated that... You didn't know. I think I did, uh, but it only just manifested for me in boning more Mormon boys. <laughs> like, I think I was so sexually frustrated when I was, like, 16 that I just was like, if you, if you have sex enough, it finally is satisfying. And so I, you know, I just was, like, really overactive with it. But I, I think it, it's because it's all kind of hidden. Nobody was like, here's your clitoris. This is how you work it. I mean, if they even have a manual on that now, I feel like there's a couple good ones. But, like, we're not teaching girls even now. I was trying to have a conversation with my son last night, a very delicate conversation, because he was talking to me about sex. He's um, 15. And I was like, how comfortable am I saying clitoris over and over to my son? Like, I'm really pretty cool and groovy, but I was like, vulva, you know. Uh, I was just kind of like, I couldn't, I was like surprised by how stopped up by it I was, even now. You know, even with being someone who pushes norms and is like, I was like, how far is this okay to talk to with my kid, like I, I was like, oh, I need to sit down and examine this because I'm not even sure right now, you know? And he's asking questions. It's not like I just went to him and was like, Volvo, let's talk about it. You know, like he was asking pretty pointed questions. I love that she talks openly about sex with her kids when they have questions and has the wherewithal to look inward when she herself feels uncomfortable. So if you've been listening here for a while or you read my Girl Boner book, you know that embracing solo play and learning about my body have been huge learning curves for me as well. Since we are talking about clit stories, I figured I should share my own most remarkable. Here's a reading from Girl Boner that I did at a skirt club event in Los Angeles in 2019. When I first learned that a journalist had been selected to masturbate to orgasm in an fMRI machine, I was a wee bit jealous. 
As chance or fate would have it, I ended up sitting next to the lead researcher of the orgasm MRI studies, Barry Kamizarek, the following year at North America's first World Sexual Health Day celebration in New York City. A year after that, I sat in a small room at Rutgers University, being suited up with a custom-fit mask that looked more horror sci-fi than spicy adventure, or maybe a colander. It didn't take long for me to realize that in all of my fantasies about participating in orgasm research, I'd failed to consider a very important thing, the MRI machine. It required the mask, which would help hold my head perfectly still, yes, still, as I played with myself to sounds comparable to gunshots and a cramped device many people freak out in. On top of all of that, I would have to lie flat on my back, by far my least favorite solo play position. Had I ever come that way? I should have practiced, but it was far too late for that. If you feel you can't breathe once you're inside, don't worry, you aren't actually dying, a technician told me. <laughs> you're probably just claustrophobic. Hit the eject button and I'll shoot you right back out. If I didn't hyperventilate, I'd stay in, following text slides that prompted me to think about or take particular actions. Imagine having my nipples touched, then actually touch my nipples. Imagine having my clitoris touched, then actually touch my clitoris. Imagine a speculum being inserted into my vagina. That was a control factor, though I did wonder if the fantasy would add an interesting twist to my next gyno visit. <laughs> so how does one accustomed to dildos and lying flat on her belly as she moves about freely come with nothing but her fingers while nearly motionless and tied down and not in a kinky way? My question precisely. I decided to fess up to the researchers. I may not be able to orgasm after all, I said, apologizing profusely if I had wasted their time or resources. Not to worry, they assured me. Not experiencing orgasm would be just as helpful. And would I like to try it with a toy as well? Oh my God, would I ever. <laughs> and so I would go at it twice, once with my fingers solo, once with a brand spanking new purple body safe dildo I call Hank E. Panky. Once everyone was ready, researcher and longtime sex therapist Nan Wise guided me through a room of technicians seated at computers who would monitor the experience opposite a glass wall. This wasn't quite what I'd meant when I asked the universe for an orgy, but heck, I would take it. I sat down on the MRI bed, suited up in a robe, slippers, and my adorable mask, feeling like an astronaut, ready to launch into the great unknown. As the bed rolled into the machine, I brushed my thumb over the emergency button and closed my eyes. Dear God, please don't let claustrophobia stand in the way of my girl boner. Once inside, I opened my eyes, pleasantly surprised by the sense of peace and calm I felt. While I still figured I wouldn't climax, I no longer felt stressed over it. Pardon the spoiler, but therein lies some orgasm magic. I never could have predicted what followed. The visual prompts seemed to move slowly, very slowly. Once I surrendered to the pacing, falling into a rhythm, it struck me how powerful my girl boner became when I didn't rush. Arousal sprinkled, then flamed from my head to my toes as I imagined, then touched, imagined, then touched. Envisioning my nipples being touched sent me reeling, as did imagining my partner suckling them. No one had said I couldn't let my mind wander. And thinking of or touching my clit, holy bejesus. Numerous times I felt as though I might explode if only I could roll over. It was like moving to the very edge of utter euphoria, only to be nudged backward, or a bite of perfect chocolate yanked from your mouth before you could chew. Finally, I gave up, chalking up a mild, pleasurable release I'd experienced to surrender. A gal can only take that kind of you're not allowed to come torture for so long. I let the team know and rolled back out. Did you experience orgasm? Dr. Kamizerk asked with a friendly smile. I almost blurted no, but had I? I observed my wetness, the full body flushing, the intense swelling of my labia that only followed coming. Holy crap, yes. A bit later, I sat on a train headed back to NYC, considering the countless times I'd experienced quote-unquote small bursts of pleasure I had discounted as inefficient or pleasure on the way to the really good stuff. 
No doubt I had been climaxing all along. How could I, several years into my work in researching and writing about sex, still be unraveling significant mysteries about my own body and sexuality? As frustrating as that epiphany seemed, it was also pretty wondrous. Dear Clit, you're more awesome than I've given you credit for. I promise to celebrate you deeply and more often. Love, August. Whenever we talk about the clitoris, I think it's important to point out that you don't have to be a woman to have one. Plenty of non-binary folks and male-identifying trans men have a clit too. About four years ago, back in June 2017, I interviewed Hida Valoria, a Latinx author and pioneering intersex and non-binary activist and educator, about their journey. I had just read their powerful memoir, Born Both, an Intersex Life. Before we get to the clit parts of our conversation, here is how Hida described being intersex for anyone who may not be familiar. I think one of the easiest ways to think about intersex people is we are on the spectrum between male and female in certain ways. And so you can have people who are more female-bodied in terms of reproductive traits, chromosomes, but a little more masculine looking because they were virilized in the womb with more male hormones than most women typically are. And I fall into that category. So, you know, I've always had kind of broad shoulders and musculature. So physical differences in genitals, I fall into that category too. And then there's almost the flip side with men who have low testosterone and they have little body hair. And then also you might have people who are mostly physically male, but with a smaller than average penis. There's also another type where people who grow up to be women, and in almost all of the cases we've seen, actually, it's called CIS. They look externally female. You know, you'd really never know they weren't female, except that internally They don't have typical female traits and have instead internal testes and XY chromosomes. So they can't get pregnant. Our differences are visible sometimes and sometimes not at all. Another potential physical trait of being intersex involves the clitoris. And sadly, many intersex babies with physical traits that don't fit the classifications for male or female, such as having a relatively large clitoris, are operated on to quote-unquote correct them. And when you operate on the clitoris, it can lose sensation. Hida's parents, a doctor and a former school teacher, opted against putting their child through such a surgery, which has turned out to be a very positive thing. Which brings us to our clit talk. I have to ask you about girl boners because I remember... When I first met you at World Sexual Health Day, I think the first thing you said to me was, we have to talk about girl boners because you actually have a clitoris that becomes more erect than, you know, a clitoris more frequently would. And uh, so you've been able to, to penetrate people. And I remember this part of the book where you're talking about how good that can feel. Like you, you got why that was a, a pleasurable thing for people with, with penises. And, and then also that the clitoris is so pleasure- centric I mean it's made for pleasure it's so sensitive so it's do you do you think sometimes wow I have the best of both worlds in a way like I get to from a genital pleasure standpoint experience two you know very different things that not everybody gets to I really do and I think that one regret is that our society is so sex phobic in certain ways right it's not Mm -hmm. when it comes to like parading bodies around, you know, and and magazines and stuff, that's okay. But to really talk about sex and pleasure and orgasms and all of that isn't something that we do. So, so thank you for bringing it up because it's, it's an important topic and I have not been able to really talk about it enough and share how I think that honestly, my intersex body is a blessing. It's and, and people in my life, like my close friends, constantly saying the same thing, you know, and I have women joking, you know, like, God, I wish mine was as big as yours quite frequently because it is. It's a positive thing. It's, it's so ironic that it's treated 
so negatively that they're often literally cut off. I mean, that's the crazy irony. Although, I don't think it's ironic if you really get very deep and philosophical about it. I mean, on the one hand, you could say, okay, parents are just afraid of their girls being different. But on the other hand, there are these gatekeepers, right? The, the professionals who kind of decided in the beginning and then keep deciding in the, in the current period that this isn't a good thing, you know? And it's one thing in the 50s when women weren't supposed to enjoy sex and, you know, very little was known about female sexuality and people didn't want to know about it, frankly, and it was suppressed. It was one thing back then for people to have this attitude of, you know, cutting a clitoris off. But now that we have presumably evolved, right, and female sexuality is presumably important, it's crazy to me that people are still arguing for these surgeries when common sense and, you know, as well as firsthand accounts like mine have shared that it's actually a a positive thing. And I think that part of it is, frankly, that there still is sexism against, Mm -hmm. you know, women having sexual pleasure and being sexually empowered. Yeah. It's there, right? And so while women, all the women who have had it done to them, are, you know, complaining and deeply upset about it, the male doctors hearing this and even female doctors are not getting behind them and are not getting behind the need to have sexually empowered women who are treated as equals to men who are supposed to just have access to sexuality, right? It's it's their birthright, you know, for men. It's like, oh, that's that's what you have to do and that's what you look forward to. But for women, we see this this birthright being taken away and the experts and professionals are still condoning it. And so I think that there has to be a remnant of, of sexism, you know, and internalized sexism for the women doctors where part of them just doesn't want women to feel that good. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's really uh, profound and I think resonates with a lot of of what's going on in our culture right now. And this just brings up those important conversations that I think you're helping to inspire. And chapter five is so powerful and heartbreaking. It's called gender side. And you talk about what you call non-consensual genital surgeries. I know many people call the surgeries intersex genital mutilation. Would you share why it's important to you to, to avoid the mutilation word? Well, I do use that word sometimes as well, but it kind of depends on the context. You know, sometimes I don't want to trigger people who have unfortunately been subjected to these. You know, it might trigger them to hear it called that, just another reminder of, of the pain that they suffered. Currently, I'm saying sex reassignment surgeries because really... You know, what's happening here, we've called them all different things over the years. And some adults, as we know from the trans community, voluntarily want to have surgery on their genitals to, to confirm their gender identity. So, so not all surgeries are mutilation, obviously. Those surgeries are voluntary. And the huge difference that people don't realize is that ours are not. And I mean, even if they realize that, I think it's it's really bizarre. I've had colleagues, fellow activists, point out how um, even some human rights bodies recently have made the mistake of calling our surgeries, the ones performed on babies who obviously didn't ask for them, sex alignment surgeries. Like, oh my God, that's not what's happening. What's happening is that these babies are being given sex changes that they never asked for, sex reassignments, basically. And and if you look at it like that, I think it's helpful because you think, wow, who would give a baby a sex reassignment surgery? Yeah. It's insane. It totally I mean, is. a lot of people like, don't even like it when adults do it. And, you know, and obviously that's transphobic, but my point is that like, how could you have strong feelings about this and yet think it's fine to do it to a baby? The problem is that being intersex has been portrayed as a defect, right? And yeah. just such an innate defect that, of course, you would have to change it. So, of course, it would be corrective, right? And that's simply wrong. 
we are a natural variation. Um, in the vast majority, we have no health issues, just like male or female babies. In some cases, we do, just like male or female babies. But what we are is a variation of sex. We are a naturally occurring different sex. And people just haven't really wanted to admit that because they haven't been ready to expand their notion of sex, right? We have hundreds of years of like men and women, and man and wife, and all of these patriarchal ideas of, of what it is, you know, and what the sexes are and what their roles are and how opposite they are. So to admit that there's actually three sexes and a whole spectrum of sex, because even the third sex, you know, has a whole huge spectrum within it from intersex people who look very male to intersex people who look very female to everyone in between, that's that kind of throws the whole sexist patriarchal paradigm on its head. It changes that ability to be like, well, men, of course, will have this role, and women, of course, will have this role. And it makes you begin to think, oh, well, maybe people are just suited to whatever they're suited for individually. I think our society, sadly, for so many years, hasn't been ready for that. But I think that we are getting there. Do you feel because there are many people who have probably not come out yet or or maybe don't know much about intersex or that they are intersex, do you think it's more common than anyone realizes? Yes. Yeah. The stats that we have, if anything, are low. Because of that, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, we have very few people that have been coming out still relative to the amount. And one really easy way to to see that is that we know that there's more intersex people than trans people statistically. And yet you would never know that based on the amount of social um, recognition, right? And understanding that's out there. I've had a lot of people approach me who think the opposite. And so, you know, basically the fact is that most of us have still been too shy. And I think it's because there's not enough information out there yet to come out with educating everyone if they come out with feeling, you know, alone, because there's not, you know, a lot of out intersex celebrities, politicians, etc. And so, Yeah, there's probably even more of us. There's people that contact me all the time who are like, I'm not sure if I'm intersex. And then they tell me the details of their body or their medical records, and they are completely intersex. I mean, my favorite is a woman who contacted me who's married and said she, you know, had three children with her husband and they were, she was expecting the fourth. And she told me that her clitoris was four inches long, which is quite a bit larger than mine. And really one of the largest that I've heard of, you know, for a woman that identifies and lives as a woman, is happily married, and mind you, can obviously get pregnant, right? And yet she has this very big variation in her genitals. And she didn't even know if she could use that word because nobody's talking about it, right? And nobody's telling you. And so I think that there's just a ton of people out there like this. Yeah, and I think that what's going to happen that started happening is we're going to reach that tipping point, you know, where enough people start talking about it that suddenly more people start coming out. And at one point, just tons of people come out and the world is suddenly different in a really positive way. Earlier this year, Germany banned unnecessary surgeries on intersex babies, although critics have warned that the new law could easily be sidestepped by parents and doctors. And recently, a bill here in California to ban these surgeries was stalled for the third year in a row. The author of the bill said that proposed amendments would have stripped it of most of its purpose. Here's hoping that all changes for the better soon. Our last clitoris story comes from culture shifter and media personality, Jean Franzblau. Jean joined me in the studio back in 2015 and read a poem she wrote for the Beauty of a Woman blog fest. It talks about her own pleasure discovery journey 
as a cisgender woman who used to really envy penis havers until she started to explore and understand this incredible part of her body. A love letter to my clit. My darling clitoris. When I was younger and angrier, I was jealous of men. Men seemed to have such explosive, mind-bending orgasms. Not fair, I thought. What I didn't know was that I was gifted with the only body part whose function was pure pleasure. That, my sweet, is you. You've got an average of 8,000 sensory nerve endings. The penis has 4,000. The result is that when touched in just the right way, you are a bringer of delight. I want to apologize, dear one, for approaching you in the past without much attention or care. Time and again, I've wanted to feel good and just reached down and rubbed, creating not so nice friction. Only last year did I learn the proper way to approach you with lubricant. Just a little dab of lube or saliva and you melt into a gift of yumminess. How do you do it? I just looked you up on Wikipedia. Whoa, you are complex. The clitoris has external and internal components. It consists of the glands, the clitoral body or shaft, the clitoral hood, two erectile bodies known as the corpora cavernosa, two clitoral crura, and the vestibular or clitoral bulbs. Remember how I thought you were somehow different and I felt less than and blogged about it twice? I thought you were too small. Now I know that you are perfect, just as you are. In fact, you've become such an important part of my life that I've made a promise to myself to practice orgasmic meditation three times a week. As you know quite intimately by now, Orgasmic meditation is a 15-minute experience where I relax into a nest of pillows and my own partner strokes you with the tip of his left index finger. He wears gloves and uses special natural lubricant. And during those mini sessions, you give us such adventures of connection, energy, intuition, and creativity. You are more powerful than just a body part. Tapping into your current seems to create a doorway, a portal to something else, something spiritual and mysterious. I am in awe of you and your whole vulva package. This week, three mornings in a row in bed, you and I have had some pretty special moments, haven't we? Each climax creates a feeling of wholeness and happiness, all before 7 a.m., have I told you how much I appreciate you? This morning, I raise a glass of smoothie and make a toast to you. To my gorgeous, healthy clitoris. My pleasure point. My sensation center. My delicious dot. To you. To us. I'm so grateful for today's featured guests for sharing their stories. To learn more from Joan Price, visit joanprice.com, where you can find senior sex tips, sex toy reviews from a senior perspective, and information about all of her works. To learn more about Emma Arnold and stream some of her comedy, visit emmaarnoldcomedy.com. For more about Hita Valoria, and to check out their books, head to hedavaloria.com. And you can find more about Jean Franzblau and her work in intimacy coordination, professional cuddling, and more at jeanfranzblau.com. We are going to shift gears a little bit now for some pleasure tips, toys, and sexy games. First, here are three simple and practical ways to add more pleasure to your play, inspired by one of our sponsors, Promescent. One, use lube. I mention lube a lot, and for good reason. It makes virtually all sex better. 
And lately, I have been loving Promescence aloe-based and water-based lubricants. They both have an awesome texture and they don't contain any risky ingredients that can cause irritation. Second, consider an arousal gel. Promescent also makes women's arousal gel, which you can apply to your vulva or a partner's vulva shortly before playtime. And it adds a really fun, kind of a subtle buzz feeling that can really get juices flowing where they count. And if you have a penis and don't stay hard as long as your partner would like, yet they love penetration, grab some Promescent Climax Control Spray, STAT. It's the only clinically proven delay spray in North America that helps you last longer in bed. To save 15% off your first order, head to delayspray.com and use the discount code AUGUST15OFF. All purchases are delivered discreetly, no prescription required, and they're backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee. Again, that's AUGUST15OFF at delayspray.com or click the link in the show notes to save automatically. And speaking of clitoris play, I have to let you all know about the Womanizer Premium Eco Toy. I received one recently and it is so awesome. It uses pleasure air technology to give you this really fun suction feeling on your clit. And here's the part that blows my mind. It's made from sustainable, renewable materials. So you can pleasure your way to a smaller eco footprint. It's also elegant looking and has this really lovely texture. And yes, it is available at the pleasure chest. Lastly, before we get to Dr. Megan's pleasure picks, I received another toy for a review from Tracy's dog. It's called the Turbo Automatic Masturbation Cup. It's a penis toy, and since I don't have a penis, I offered it to one of the kind folks in my Girl Boner Patreon community. That's just one of many possible perks of joining us there. Hint, hint. Here is what he said about Tracy's dog. First impression was, what an amazing looking product. Super stylish and extremely well built. It has all sorts of lights and it's an impressive looking object. I did not really know what to do with it at first. I found you should be erect before inserting your John Thomas into the device. It provides several speeds for pleasure control and you can insert to different lengths for various stimulation points. Once you have proven your love to the flaming barrel of erotica, Cleanup is easy. Just wash with soap and water and air dry. Okay, I made that up. This would be an amazing gift for sci-fi and Star Wars fans and Trekkies because it honestly looks like R2-D2. A surefire way to make friends at Comic-Con and a great conversation piece for your mantle. Keep it away from children or you may find them using it as a rocket ship time machine. And good luck with the conversations that might ensue. Overall, an extremely well-made very artistic looking product. You can see how much work went into it. Charges easily and it's ready to go. Thank you, kind patron. That was both entertaining and informative. And I agree, it does kind of look like R2-D2. If that intrigued you, order your own Turbo Automatic Masturbation Cup at tracysdog.com. Use the code TURBOO, T-U-R-B-O-O, to save 30% on your purchase. And now... Dr. Megan Fleming's Pleasure Picks for July. I, for one, am thrilled that it's summer is upon us, and what better time to play? As you know, for me, sexuality is a place for couples to play and have fun. But to play in the bedroom isn't something that comes natural to everyone, especially in long-term committed relationships, where life often becomes more about responsibilities and checking things off lists. I find that most often we just need a little inspiration and external guidance to give us a play plan. This is where my love for adult games comes in. There are so many to choose from. Dice games, board games, truth or dare, romantic or kinky, to name but a few styles. Number one, for beginners, if you haven't tried simple dice, it's a great place to start. Often people ask what foreplay looks like and how long should it be? When it's a game, time often flies. With the most basic of dice, you throw one that describes the action, kiss, suck, blow, and the other which tells you on what body part. To make it even sexier, have the receiving partner wear a blindfold so they're in anticipation of what's coming next. Some sets have a third die for a location in your home. Number two, use your mouth 
by Shamira Howard. This game has conversation starter cards, making them great for people who are looking for new ways to explore conversations and ask questions you may not normally ask or, more importantly, think of. Number three, the Monogamy Adult Board Game. This best-selling adult game for couples allows for plenty of conversation and fun. It's got over 400 ideas for inspiration with three levels of progressive play from intimate, passionate, to steamy. This game is an excellent way to get out of a sexual rut. And number four, 52 Weeks of Role Play by Love Honey. I love this game because when it comes to role play, a lot of couples aren't quite sure where to start. And this deck of cards gives practical advice for different role play scenarios with everything from beginner to kinkier suggestions. Love Honey also has costumes in a wide range of sizes that I can assure you makes it easy for you to step into your role. I had a really hard time narrowing this list down to four. Definitely plan some time to explore which game feels exciting and fun for you. And remember, you can find these games and all of my pleasure picks at greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure picks. Until next month, here's to your pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Those all sound like so much fun. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please let us know. Leave a rating and review and let your friends know about it. And don't forget to sign up for Girl Boner Extras by joining me on Patreon, patreon.com slash girlboner. Thank you so much for being here and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.